0: Praise the Lord. What a beautiful day. It's a day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and we're going to be glad in it. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to talk with you today, you know, with Easter coming up here real shortly. I want to talk with you about life after the cross. And... Uh, you know, we, we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, but, but really the, the divining point is the cross. Uh, the cross made all the difference for you and I. Um, you know, you, you, you can watch movies, you know, like, uh, oh, what is it with Harrison, what was that? The Bible. <laughs> yeah, or any of those things. You know, the, anyway, we're showing the Old Testament and stuff. You know, and, and you look at some of that stuff and you think, wow, that, that's really cool. You know, wouldn't it have been something to live back then? Wouldn't it have been something to see uh, Moses go up that mountain and get the Ten Commandments? And wouldn't it have been something to see the, the Red Sea parted? You know, it wouldn't have been something to be there and hear about Daniel and the lion's den and so forth, all these these awesome things that we see in in the Old Testament. No, you know, because we're living in the most perfect time to live because we're living after the completed works of Jesus. And they were all looking forward to, to His coming. And so I wanna look at life after the cross because, you know, <clears throat> we, can, we can read our Bibles, but if we don't interpret it properly, if we don't interpret it according to the dispensation that we're in, the time frame that we're in, and so forth, uh, we, we, can, we can miss the whole mark. And it's, it's like if we read a fairy tale or something. But what we have today, when, and we, if we understand what we have today, it's, it's so wonderful. And so I wanna start by reading, I'm gonna read this out of the Amplified, but 2 Timothy, the second chapter in the 15th verse. And it says, "Study." and be eager, and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing, and accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the word of truth. And so it isn't just a matter of of hearing the Bible. We've got, to, we've got to rightly divide the truth of the Bible. You know, after I was saved for, for many years, you know, the, the, the teaching that we oftentimes heard where it was used coming from um, an Old Testament perspective and then just taking uh, New Testament Scripture and using them as proof texts. And what we're doing is we're, we're, we're looking at it from, from the wrong angle. You, you, you know how you can look at different things and you can look at them from different angles and from whatever angle you're looking at it from, it can, be, it can, look, it can look totally different. And, and the same thing is true with the Word of God. If we don't, not that you're not gonna get saved or anything, but it, it, it determines the victory that we really experience in our life, and I don't know about you. I want to. I want to. I want to live a life, a victorious life. I want to walk in the fullness of what Jesus has made available to me. I don't. <clears throat> I don't want to be a martyr. You know, I don't want things to be coming against me negatively. And well, you know, uh, I guess it's just the cross that I have to bear. Jesus bore the cross for you. The only cross you and I bear is this flesh that we have to put up with until we get our new bodies. But it was Jesus bore it for us. And so a lot of times we're, we're looking at something and I, well, I guess it's just something that I have to deal with. It's just something that I have to bear. Not if, not if Jesus defeated it for you. Not if Jesus went to the cross to bear it for you. You know, Jesus didn't. He didn't just take care of part of it. It wasn't just a partial deal that He dealt with on the cross. He took care of the whole shebang. He took care of it all. And we need to realize and we need to recognize it. And and in order to do that, and this is why, you know, I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but Isaac informed Bruce and I, his, his dad, Bruce Wangler, pastors in, 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 in Winterset, that we're old school. You know, we're, we're old school, you know, because, you know, we, we still teach on a Sunday morning for 45 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer than that, you know, but, but, but for 45 minutes, and, you know, because new school, is, you know, you, uh, you have 15 minutes of music and, and you have a, a few other things that take place and you, you preach for no more than 20 minutes, you know, because uh, people are so undisciplined in the society that we live in today uh, that you can't hold their attention for more than, than 15 minutes. Well, I beg to argue with that, you know, because, I sat through about sixteen hours of soccer yesterday, you know, and everybody and everybody is right there. I mean they they, they they can handle it. You you go to a movie and, and if you don't have an, at least an hour and twenty five minutes of movie, you feel like you're cheated. Amen? Amen? You know, so don't don't tell me that your your concentration can't endure more than forty five minutes. <clears throat> you know, and I understand people not being able to endure more than 45 minutes of me, but you can, under, you can endure more than 45 minutes. And so I'm old school and proud of it. Because let me tell you something. There's only one thing that'll produce change in your life, that'll produce victory in your life, and it's the Word of God and it's that Word of God being rightly divided in your life, you taking time. Uh, let me tell you something, Harold used to preach for two hours without taking a breath. See <laughs> am I right or am I right? I thought I was right. You know, and so I'm old school and proud of it because we need to understand the Word of God if we're gonna live and if we're gonna walk in victory. The wrong interpretation of the Bible can lead us to wrong conclusions. There's a lot of people because of, of wrong interpretation of Bible have come to wrong conclusions. They think that God's mad at them. Let me tell you something, I got some good news for you this morning, God's not mad at you. God loved you, Jesus went to the cross because Father God loves you if he didn't love you so much, he would have never sent Jesus to the cross. And so we need to have an understanding. We need to realize that the Scripture talks about pre-cross, pre-cross, and post-cross. And we need to understand where we're living, where we are right now in the whole scheme of things. You know, during Jesus' earthly ministry, He was basically operating under the old covenant because the new covenant did not come into effect until after the death burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we need to have an understanding of those things because if we we don't properly understand and interpret that, um, we, we begin to try to live where we're not supposed to be living. You know, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they, they lived basically off of the principle, if you do good, you get good. That was basically a, an Old Covenant principle. If you do good, you get good. I going to read from you Deuteronomy 28. And <clears throat> I'm just part of it. But I'll read from the good part. The part that applies to you and I. Because just after I get done with this scripture, I'm going to move over to Galatians, the third chapter. Where it talks about how you and I, how we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Can I hear a praise of the Lord? We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus became a curse for us, for it is written, curses every man that hangs upon a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. I qualify. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Can you tell that's one of my favorite passages in the Bible? But you know the first part of Deuteronomy 28, he's talking about the blessings and then The latter part, the the majority of Deuteronomy 28 is talking about the curse, that if you do not do this, this is what's gonna come upon you. This is what's gonna happen to you. But the first part says if you do this, this is what's gonna happen. And so it's still under the law. But you know, what's interesting, Galatians says that we've received the blessing. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. In the Old Testament, you did, good. You, 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 you did good to get good. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we got good. And so our motivation is to do good. Our motivation under the New Covenant isn't to get something because we've already got it through the completed works of Jesus. Our motivation in the new covenant is because God is so good to me. I wanna serve him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And God is so good to me, how can I not be good to you? That's the motivation. And so in Deuteronomy 28, verse one it says, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey. See, first comes the obeying. If you diligently obey the, now now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm not giving anybody permission to be disobedient to God. But your obedience to God isn't to get something from God. Your obedience to God is because He loves you. We're able to love because He first loved us. And so it says, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully, carefully, all his commandments, which I command you today. You know, a a, a commandment means you have no choice. They didn't have a choice. If they wanted good in their life, they had to do good. There was no choice. I got a lot of good in my life. You know, sometimes I, I sit back and I, I look at my life and I think, you know, life just isn't fair. Because I got it so good. I got a, a wife that's been faithful to me for f- almost 50 years. I've got four children that haven't rebelled. I've got 14 grandkids that are wonderful, I, I get to pastor this church. Me. My life is unbelievable. My God supplies all of my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. My life is good. How could I not serve him? How could I not be faithful to him? And I'll tell you, there's times I haven't been good. There's times I haven't been faithful. But in, in spite of my failures, he's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your, uh, of your flocks. In other words, blessed in every area of your life. Dropping down to the 15th verse. But it shall come to pass, now this is where it starts not getting nice. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I commend you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And so then he spends the next what, 20-some, 30-some ch- verses, talking about all this stuff that's gonna come upon you if you don't obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, now this is the point that I'm gonna, again, I'm not saying, go out and disobey God. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, if, if you have a revelation of what Jesus, has truly done for you in your life, your desire becomes to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You know, under the law, if you overlook, if you miss in one point, you're under the curse. And it says that if you miss it in one point, you're guilty of all of it. And let me tell you what the the, the law proved to the children of Israel. It proved they needed a Savior. I don't know about you. When I got saved, I was convinced I needed a Savior. I'd spent 24 years of my life trying in my own strength to be good, to do the right thing. I had tried in my own strength to to overcome the issues in my life, and this time, this time, (laughs) this time, I'm gonna do it. This time, I'm gonna make it. Let me tell you, I didn't. The revelation I had was I need a Savior. And so I, when I prayed and I received Jesus Christ in my Lord, as my Lord and Savior, I was not going through some kind of motion. It was coming out of my heart because I knew I needed to be forgiven. I knew I needed help. I knew, and the way that I found out but through the Word of God. What's interesting about it is my entire life, I'd heard the Word of God. My mom played the organ in church. It was a little country church, Ewington, Minnesota. And so, because, and I don't know why, mom didn't trust me sitting in the back by myself They did one time. And the preacher called me and my best friend out. And so, young people, if you get called out, don't feel like you're all alone. <laughs> Was not a good situation. Anyway, we won't, we're, this isn't about me, right? <clears throat> and so, I got to sit in the front row every Sunday. And, uh, and so I heard I heard the preaching. I heard that because I was baptized and because I grew up in church and because mom and dad had always gone to church and, and I heard because of my heritage and because of going through confirmation I was saved. Well, they they left just one little element out of it. The Bible says, everybody say the Bible says. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Says absolutely nothing about having a heritage that goes to church has absolutely nothing to say about baptism. Scripture does say, baptism doth now save you. But that's talking about being baptized into Christ, being immersed into Christ, and then openly being water baptized, declaring what Jesus has done in your life. And so the scripture has to be rightly interpreted, because if I hadn't heard that scripture rightly interpreted, and I'm not saying I couldn't have gotten saved along the way, but here I am, 24 years old, not the smartest thing in the world, doing plenty of stupid stuff, and if I'd lost my life, I have no assurance as to where I would have spent eternity. Well, today I know. Today I know not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did did for me. And I have the assurance of that because of what the Word of God declares. Now let's read this again in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. This is, this is our new covenant redemption. That it, it says that we're not going to be redeemed of the curse, or if we do right, we're redeemed from the curse, it's in the past tense that we've already been redeemed from the curse. Christ has, if I say has, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written, curse is every man that hangs upon the tree that the blessing why was he hanged on the tree? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ did it all for us. Because of Jesus, we are now no longer required to earn our salvation through good works. Through Christ Jesus, we're no longer required to earn our salvation through good works. We are blessed because of Jesus' obedience, not ours. Listen, we've, we've got we've to get this revelation. We've got to get this understanding. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, and if I get it in, proper order and I get Jesus where he belongs in first place in my life, my life will line up with that. The order will come. Listen to what it says in, in Romans, the fifth chapter and the 19th verse. It says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Of course, this is going back, it's talking about Adam. Because of his sin, his disobedience, many were made sinners. So also, by one man's Jesus, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Why are we made righteous? Because of Jesus' obedience because of his willingness to suffer, to die, to give his life so that you and I, so that we might have life. You're saying, well, pastor, you know, we know these things. Well, you know, the problem is is, is we forget. And we begin to look at self and we begin to think it's about me. We lose sight of the fact that it isn't about me, it's about what Jesus has done for me. We begin to look at it and we begin to think, you know, I am in this place in my life because of what I've done. And that's where we begin to look down our pointy little snobbish nose at somebody else and we begin to think we're better than somebody else. And I remember this testimony, this was years back. Can't remember the name of the, the teacher right now. But we heard him up in, in Minneapolis at a pastor's conference and he's he talking about how, you know, he had, he had come out of a, a very destructive, Lifestyle. He was addicted to drugs. He's an alcoholic. Uh, He's living a gay lifestyle. and He said, One day he said, I was in this institution that I'd been committed to. And I was curled up in the shower, in the fetal position. And he said, God came along and he saw me in the shower, curled up in the fetal position, wishing I were dead, and God looked a bit down upon me and said, now there's somebody I can use. And he brought an old teacher, still alive today, Norval Hayes, into his life. And he got born again and he discipled him and his life got turned around, got delivered from all of his stuff. But when we heard him preaching, his preaching on grace, this was probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And he says one day he was driving through one of the major cities and he was kind of driving down skid Row. And he says the, the addicts and the drunks were literally laying in the garden, in, in the gutter. And he says, I'm driving along and I'm thinking, oh, the scum of the earth. Look at the scum of the earth. And he said, then the Holy Spirit spoke up within him and said, but for my grace, you'd be in the same place. And he says it changed his thinking. He started to look around and he, he said, I, I saw an individual on this side. And he, he said, the thought went through his mind and he thought, That could have been the next Billy Sunday, who was a great evangelist in the turn of the century. Saw this guy over here and he thought, that could have been the next Oral Roberts. That could have been the next Billy Graham. And he says, literally, he says, I began to weep because I realized that it isn't who we are. It's the Jesus that is on the inside of us that empowers us to be the man, the woman, that God wants us to be. To accomplish the work that He wants to accomplish in us and through us if we'll give Him but the opportunity. It's His grace. And the Bible says that the righteousness that we have, it's His righteousness and it's a gift to you and I. Still in Romans 5, backing up to the 17th verse. And it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, see, that's what we see ruling in the earth. We see death reigning. We see people hopeless. Hopelessness is a death sentence. Hopelessness is. is is when death is ruling in your life. Each of us, we've experienced at times where we, we don't feel very hopeful. But let me tell you something. You allow that to rule your life, and it's a death sentence. It may not physically kill you, but it'll destroy every other area in your life. You walk down the street. You don't, you don't have to watch a zombie movie to see zombies. You see them walking down the street all the time. It's like they're in a trance, why, why? Because they're hopeless. And so they're the walking dead. But thank God, where there's been a death, there can be a resurrection. Do you realize that if Jesus hadn't died, there couldn't have been any resurrection? You and I, we were all dead. We were all in a hopeless place. But Jesus came along. And through Jesus Christ, we experienced a resurrection. And with that resurrection came hope. Hopelessness had to go out the window. Why? Because hopelessness is death. Now we no longer walk hopeless, we have faith, we have confidence, we have assurance. We can do all things through Christ because he strengthens us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's the assurance, that's the confidence that we have because of Jesus. And so for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one Much more, those, now this is talking about you and me. Those who received abundance of grace, praise the Lord. We just didn't get a little bit. We got an abundance of grace. You know what abundance of grace means? More than you need. Enough that is sufficient to meet your every need whatever that need might be, we have the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We reign in life. Life isn't supposed to reign over you. Life isn't supposed to be more than what you can handle. We're to reign in life. And we do it through an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness which has been imparted into our life through the one Jesus Christ. It's not what we've done, it's what Jesus has done in and through us. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the 29th verse. This is one of my favorite verses. Do you realize I have a lot of favorite verses? But this is, this is, this is one of my favorite verses. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 29 and 30. That no flesh shall be glorified in his presence. Well, that, that doesn't sound like a, a, a verse that would be one that you would choose as uh, your favorite because it says no flesh is going to be glorified. But see, that's why you've got to go on to the, to the 30th verse. But of Him, your flesh isn't going to be glorified. Your flesh isn't going to make it in and of itself. But of Him, you're in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us. This is what he became to us. He became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, all of that is because of Jesus. I like to say it like this, because of him, we are wisdom, because of him, We are righteous. Because of Him, we are redeemed. Because of Him, we are sanctified. Because of Him, we experience redemption. It's all because of Jesus. It's not because of my efforts. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. Under the new covenant, We can't brag about anything because under the new covenant, Jesus has done it all. I love Ephesians. The first chapter, the third verse. I would have said this was one of my favorite passages, but I love all of Ephesians, so. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, if I say has. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, in Christ Jesus. He's not holding out. He's not trying to keep it from getting to us. He wants it to get to us. The fruit of the Spirit, the blessings of God, if we begin to recognize that they already belong to us and we begin to realize that it's all because of Jesus, the fruit begins to grow. You find a fruit tree, you walk out into the middle of that grove and you won't hear any grunting, you won't hear any groaning, you won't hear any, as the trees are trying, To produce fruit. You know why? Because that's what they do. That's what they've been created to do. They've been created to bear fruit. You and I were created to bear fruit. We do not have to try. But we do have to be tapped in. We have to receive the nutrients, we have to receive, for us the nutrients, is the Spirit of God. And as we allow him to live, beg, within each and every one of us, as we come to realize the fruit that are to be produced in our life, and we find that out through the Word of God, it comes forth. Not because we're trying, but because that's, What happens when the branch is connected to the root and it begins to produce? You know, in the New Testament, two people asked the same question. What to do to receive eternal life? They received two different answers. The first answer was given by Jesus. And of course, we've got to understand, once again, that the answer that Jesus gave was prior to, it was before his death, burial, and his resurrection. It was the rich young ruler that came to him in in Matthew 19, 20, or excuse me, 1916, it says, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good things should I do that I may have eternal life? You know, there's a lot of people still asking that same question. What good things must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good. That is God. But if you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And of course, we know the discussion that goes on then. Jesus says which ones, and he tells them, and, and he says, all, the, all this I've done since my youth. And Jesus said, One thing you still lack go sell all your possessions, and give it to the poor. And said, The guy went away sorrowful because he was really wealthy. You know, and and really what Jesus was doing was locating him. You know, you said you, you, you were keeping the commandment that you'll have no other gods before me. But right here, you're proving that the God in your life is, is money because you're putting it before me. See, what the old covenant basically do did, as I said earlier, was prove that you need a Savior. Because you know what? None of us, None of us, none of us are capable in our own strength to put God first in our lives. You know how I know that? Because most of us have tried to do it in our own strength. Well, let me rephrase that. All of us have tried to do it in our own strength, and we failed. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Because He empowers us, makes it possible for us to put Jesus first. But then there was the the second account. And we find it in the book of Acts, and in the... 16th chapter, and we find Paul and Silas, and, and they're in prison, and the, the warden of the prison comes to him, and, and says, what must I do to be saved? And, and we get down into Acts the 19th chapter and the 16th verse, and, and it says, and the man... 16th chapter. 30th verse. Holy moly, having trouble with these notes. And he brought them out and said, this is the, the warden, the jailer. Sir, what must I do to be saved? Now, this is after the cross after the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. There's a change. The change is from doing to believing. What happens is once we begin to believing, it's followed by the doing. It begins to change the way we function in our life. There, there, there's other examples before the cross and after the cross in the Bible and, and, and in the, the New Testament. Before, before the cross, Jesus was still teaching under the law. According to the law, people were required to forgive others before God would forgive them. Listen to this in Mark 11. And I I think this has created a lot of difficulty, a lot of confusion in the lives of people when they read through these passages. Because we've got to understand in and of ourselves, we're incapable of forgiving people. And what he's talking about here, he's talking about us doing, and he's talking about it because it's before the cross. Mark 11, 24, or 25, just got done talking about speaking, into the, speaking to the mountains and them moving and so forth. And it says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Listen to this. <clears throat> if, if this is still in operation today, we're in trouble. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. If, if this is in operation today, we're in trouble. Because then it goes on and says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you, your trespasses. That means if you hold anything against anybody, anything against anybody, if you're holding a grudge against Nixon, You're in trouble, because if you've not forgiven them, the Bible says, God will not forgive you. Of course, we don't have to go back that far, do we? I won't ask for a show of hands. But I would venture to guess, practically every one of us in this room, we have a problem with somebody. And he says, if you haven't totally forgiven everybody, you're not forgiven. Your trespasses are still done. Another passage. Matthew 6. Well, Pastor, you done quit preaching and started meddling now. Matthew six fourteen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Notice the order. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Notice the order. You do, God responds. You do, God responds. Let's look at it after the cross. Can I hear a praise of the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. After the cross. Oh, let's get after the cross. I'm so glad I'm after the cross. I'd be so dead if I were before the cross. I'd be in so much trouble. Ephesians 4.32. But be kind to one another. And tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you notice the order you do it because God through Christ did it for you you're forgiven because of what Jesus did for you and so now as we dwell on what Jesus has done for me how can i not forgive somebody else the petty little thing that they've done for me how no matter how big it is in our thinking compared to what we did to god it's petty colossians 3:13 read two before it's only fair that i read two after 2:13 2, Bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But notice, first we recognize what Jesus did for us. Under the old covenant, we are commanded to show perfect love to God and others. Once again, back in Mark, the 12th chapter. And the 30th verse. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second commandment, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now again, with a command, there's no flex flexibility. There's no shadow of turning with a command. With a command, you and I, we must do it to perfection. If we're going to do it by the law. We can live by the law if you want. It's just that it's an impossibility. Under the new covenant, we see that God loved us first. And therefore, we can show that love to others. First John, fourth chapter, nineteenth verse. We love him because he first loved us. What? Why did? Old Covenant believers have such a difficult time because they didn't, they didn't know the love of God. They saw God as, he, he was love. But they didn't know him as love. They didn't see him as love. They saw him as judge. God's demonstrated. See, the significance of Easter, Yes, it's his his death, burial, and resurrection that, that purchased life for us. But part of it is to be able to look at Easter and see the tremendous, overwhelming love that God has for us. God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation for our sins, to be be the perfect sacrifice, so that you and I might have life. That's love. You know, the Bible says, you know, one might lay his life down for a friend. We were enemies of God. When Jesus gave his life for you and I, that's the ultimate demonstration of love. When somebody will give his life, and he did it for us. You doubt God's love for you? Well, you know, Pastor, I'm just not confident in God's love. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. I like to to emphasize the resurrection because through the resurrection, we have redemption. Our righteousness is fulfilled, accomplished through the resurrection. But never forget, there's never a resurrection without a death. And the demonstration of his love for you and I was in his death that he was willing to die. Romans 5, 5, will close with this verse. Now hope does not disappoint. We have hope and hope does not disappoint. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. You see, you're not just simply spirit filled, you're love filled. God is love. Father God is love. Jesus is love. The Holy Spirit is love. Love abides in you. You are wall-to-wall love. And when we begin to recognize it, when we begin to see that, Love flows out of us. You know, when the Bible makes reference to the Holy Spirit. In, In salvation, the Holy Spirit in salvation is referred to as a well that we draw from. The Holy Spirit in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is referred to as a wellspring of living water. You know what that means? That means when we're full of the Holy Ghost and we're overflowing, we're gonna overflow with love towards one another, towards others. You know what happens when we begin to overflow with love? Being judgmental goes out the window. Thinking we're better than somebody else goes out the window. Anger towards somebody goes out the window. What love does, love desires for that despicable individual to know and to experience what you know. In what you've experienced. And we can call it all kinds of things, but it can be summed up in one word love. The love of God. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let's walk in love. Let's let's walk in the new covenant promises that belong to us through Christ Jesus. And let's begin to recognize it and walk in the fullness of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our worship this morning by receiving Holy Communion. If you're visiting with us today, and you're a member of the body of Christ, you're part of our extended family, and so we extend an invitation to you uh, to receive Holy Communion with us. Um, The ushers and elders will pass the elements around, and when you receive them, uh, you can either take it at that time, or. Um, just wait a moment and uh, we'll all receive it together. But you know Jesus, the Bible talks about how in the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Then later he says to do this in remembrance of him. And you know over the last several weeks, we've been, we've been talking a lot about remembering what Jesus accomplished for us. And, you know, it's interesting that Holy Communion was instituted on the night in which, be, in which Jesus was betrayed. And so when we receive communion, once again, as a reminder, it's not just a emotion that we go through. When we receive communion, we're to be reminded that it was Jesus' body that was whipped, that was broken, that was humiliated, that was shamed. All of that stuff that comes against you and I, all of that was poured out upon Jesus. And he took all of that on himself you know when guilt tries to rise up in your life you need to just take it and you need to present it to Jesus and say this this is yours you took it for me shame we need to do the, do the same thing with it first John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we've been forgiven of our sin, it's not just the act that is taken care of that's forgiven. It says that it washes away the residue. All the unrighteousness, the residue, the shame, the guilt, the pain, all of that is washed away along with the sin. Why? Because he wants us to be complete. He wants us to be whole. And it was done because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, to him belong. Somebody help me. been a while since I sung that the body of Christ which is broken for you that you might have life that you might have it more abundantly that if you need healing in your body by the stripes of Jesus that he took upon his body by those stripes you have been healed the body of Christ broken for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Then of course, we have the juice that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And of course the Bible declares that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Our sins weren't just simply remitted. Our sins were completely obliterated. They're completely washed away. I love the scripture. (laughs) I gotta quit using that, I guess. I love the scripture that says that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. You know, you can go north and you'll eventually hit south. You can go south and you'll eventually hit north. But you can go west or you can east, go east, and they'll never run into each other. And he says that he removes our sin so far from us, as far as the east is from the west, in other words, so that we never run into it again. Do you know what that means? That means God, once you're forgiven, is never gonna bring it up to you again. That's the world, that's the flesh, that's the devil. Remember years back, we had our little charismatic Bible study I was a fairly new Christian. And so we get together in that night we come together and one of the leaders had this revelation that, uh, you know, the Bible says that we should confess our faults to one another and so we we should have a confession service that evening. And, and so we are all in the room and everybody, you know, was to confess their sins one to another. And, and I'm sitting there and, you know, these people that I look up, because they were influential in my coming to the Lord and so forth they they start confessing their sins and so I'm going to confess and I think no, no, I've, I've dealt with that then I thought of something else and no, no, I've dealt with that and so I left that service and I felt guilty because here are all these other people that are so spiritual But they were able to confess their sins, but here I am, this novice spiritual peon who knows absolutely nothing, but yet I'm too good to confess my sin. I don't know why, but I had a revelation. And I saw this later on the understanding that if God's forgiven me why in the world would I ever bring it up again if God has forgiven me why would I talk to you about it he says if it's forgiven it's as far as the east is from the West and that means you and nobody else ever needs to bring it up again. Too often what we do is we live in our past. We dwell on our past. And oftentimes in that past are experiences that we're not all that proud of. But you know what? Time to let it go. Because If you don't let it go, nobody else can. So this grape juice represents the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that not only washes away your sin, but it washes away all the residue of your sin as well. Because of that, we are free. And he that is free in Jesus is free indeed. The blood of Christ, which has been shed for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Father, we rejoice in the knowledge of the completed works of Jesus that his body was beaten and broken so that we might be whole. His blood was shed so that our sins might be forgiven. And Father, we thank you. It seems so inadequate, but Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so abundantly that you were willing to come and suffer and die and pay the penalty for our sins. We thank you that you loved us so much that When you returned to heaven, you didn't leave us alone, but you sent us the precious Holy Spirit, that he might live in us, that we might experience that love firsthand, firsthand, and that we might demonstrate that love to others. Father, Fill us, fill us, fill us to overflowing with your precious Holy Spirit that those that we come in contact with might sense and know your love. May we be vessels, may we be channels of your love. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. So as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in the precious name of Jesus, amen. God bless you, give somebody a love, a a hug, and splash some love on them, in Jesus' name.